June is Pride Month, a time to celebrate LGBTQ plus people in the impact they have on history on an international, national, and yes, local level. So this final week of June, we're taking time to focus our local lens by hearing stories directly from our Moab community members. We're revisiting season one of Lift Up, LGBTQ plus visibility. We'll hear about being gay and non-binary in outdoors communities, how this rural area can inspire and also feel limiting And we'll hear about protecting and celebrating queer joy in our community. And just a brief reminder on context, this first season of Lift Up was produced in 2021, shortly after a homicide of a local queer couple rocked our community. In fact, this is the whole reason we have this program. We recognized that this radio station plays a role in deepening understanding and empathy within our community. Some of our interviewees mention this tragedy in their pieces. Okay, here's Ginger Cyan with an introduction to this episode. Lori Dufresne is a trauma-informed yoga, climbing, and mindfulness instructor currently living on Ute land, Moab, Utah. They have never considered themselves to be particularly athletic, but they developed a passion for intuitive movement based on their own healing journey. They began teaching in an effort to help support others in healing and also cultivate more queer and non-binary representation and both climbing and yoga. My name is Laura Dufresne. Preferred pronouns are they, them. Yes, they, them. I'm pretty sure I'm 32 and I'm turning 33 this year. So I mostly grew up in Ohio, but I was born in the desert in California. So I always say I'm a desert person at heart. Right now, I'm doing canyoneering guiding. Um, I'm also a climbing instructor outdoors, but I'm kind of taking a hiatus from outdoor instruction just while I work on my own relationship with climbing, which has gone up and down a lot in the past year over the pandemic. Um, So yeah, I'm canyoneering guiding. I teach yoga. Um, I help out with other people's stuff, odd things here and there, help out with my partner's business, just kind of Yeah, uh, help put on clinics, climbing and yoga clinics, things like that. My coming out story was me deciding that I wanted to come out and I kept trying to make it this huge production. Like I was, I put it literally for months. For months I was planning a video, some epic video. I wanted to have like the coolest coming out video ever. So I was like, what am I gonna do? And I'm like going through all these ideas and I'm like watching coming out videos. And if you ever wanted to just cry, just like scroll through coming out videos. Just like spent like three days just crying over coming out videos. And so finally, the more I research I did into coming out, um, the more I kept coming up across this idea of like, why should we have to come out? Why are we such, you know, uh, viewed as such abnormal people that we have to declare who we are because it's not the norm? And that really bothered me. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, why should I have to announce who I am? Why can't I just be, right? It's this idea that I'm just a person and I'm a being and and you can't, you know, the why is the label so important that it has to be this epic production? And so I got pissed off and one day I just went and changed my Instagram bio. <laughs> And I said, I'm queer, my pronouns are they, them, and that was it. I literally just changed my bio. I didn't say anything to anyone. I just changed it in my bio, and people started to figure it out. (laughs) 
And so I've had some, you know, I've had people actually reach out like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you know, like you came out. And I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of did. You know what's funny is I feel like most of my identities or quote labels are really just a rejection of every other label. And so that's why I take those labels on. But if I had my choice, I would just be Laura, the being, and that would be it. But, you know, apparently we have to label everything in our society. So, um, so I guess the closest words are queer and non-binary slash gender fluid slash gender queer slash whatever other words that seem to suit my fancy that day. Um, yeah. So I just kind of grew up knowing that I was different and like I've always kind of felt gender fluid. Like I've always not my, like I guess I never really understood the big deal between like when it comes to gendered clothing. Like I never understood that even as a kid. I was like, what I want to wear the boys clothes, but I want to wear the girls clothes. Like I don't really care. One day I want to be the king and the next day I want to be the princess. Like I just, you know, it's just, I was kind of all over the place. Um, I didn't mind getting dirty. I also loved to play dress up and do makeup. So like it just kind of was all over. And um, I met my first non-binary person actually, um, gosh, just a couple of years ago. So I'd never met anyone non-binary. I didn't even know what it was until I met that person. And um, it's interesting how we have our own, you know, perceptions and things that guide our own um, perspective. And so when I met that person, it was actually in a workplace environment and they were insisting on using their pronouns. Good for them. Um, so I had to make that adjustment really quickly, <laughs> being a, you know in a, in a leadership position in this organization and now having an employee essentially that was non-binary. So I, was, I feel like I was kind of thrown uh, for, you know, I'm happy about it now, but I, I, at the time I was like, oh God, I was kind of immediately thrown into the DEI work of like, I have to protect this person. I need to educate everyone. We need to like do this right. Um, and not just like totally mess this up. And so that was, you know, at the time I was like, oh God, this is, this is a little bit of a pain, but it was, it was mainly, it was like, but you know, looking back on it, I'm like, was it a pain or was it that I had to now reconcile this identity that's being faced with me that like totally fits everything that I've always felt. Right. And so it was like, is it a pain that I'm having to like stick up for this person? Or is it a pain that now I'm being faced with all the problems that I would face if I came out as non-binary. Right. So that was confusing. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was hard, you know, because because I wasn't that person. I was very much closeted at the time, just mainly out of ignorance because I had no idea what I was. And so I'm like watching this person and, you know, the stuff people were saying behind their backs about them being like a pain um, because you have to actually change your language with this person and like, you know, and how it's just silly and doesn't make any sense. I'm like listening to all this stuff happening, you know, while I'm trying to protect this person and, you know, do the right thing. And it was hard. Like it was really hard. And I feel like that alone was enough to make me kind of feel the need to stay closeted for longer because I was like, God, the world's not ready. You know, like we think, I mean, I feel like it's, it's hard enough with, um, I don't know, the world's just going through so much awakening and reckoning when it comes to, just learning more about people instead of suppressing who people are. And so it, it was definitely hard to see how far we have to go and then to f try to find the courage and bravery to be out on top of that.
I was always really close to family or just people who had known me for a really long time. So moving out here was really just like a blank slate and I felt more open to just kind of be myself, especially looking around and seeing how open others are in the community. So I think in high school was like my big awakening. So I went to a, a, it was a private high school, but it was you know, like mixed in terms of there were people of all different like races and religions and um, yeah, and there were like openly queer folks there and that was very different from my conservative Christian upbringing in a Christian school and so that was kind of my awakening and so by the end of high school, you know, so at the beginning of high school I'm like the homophobic, you know, conservative person and then by the end of high school I was just like completely out there and um, but I still wasn't really brave enough to join any queer communities at any point in time. I felt like, I don't know, I, a part of it was probably guilt from being so homophobic for so long um, and just spewing that stuff and causing harm and so feeling like I didn't belong in the queer community. Part of it was because at that time my best understanding of myself was that I was bisexual um, and so there was a lot of that kind of like bi, um, I don't know, just like if you're bi, you're not gay enough, right? So I felt had a lot of that kind of feeling. So I also was like, okay, well, I'm not gay enough. I don't belong in this community. So I never joined queer communities ever, like ever. Like I had friends, but I was always fringe. Like I was never like in it doing the work. And a lot of that was like just this feeling of like not belonging. You know, I do have to give a shout out to the first non-binary person I ever met. Um, like, I won't say their name, but uh, it was, I feel like it's, it's brave to be the first non-binary person that folks have met, to be out and be the first person, because it carries kind of like a, inherently kind of carries a burden of having to educate folks and you know answer questions because they inevitably come up if you're the first. So my first queer icon that I really looked up to and respected was Janelle Monae and um, so I would say, well, what are Janelle's pronouns? I believe they are she but maybe they are they. Um, so Janelle helped me understand that yeah gender can be more fluid right it doesn't have to be fixed right um, even if you're whatever in the public eye and you have a brand it can be fluid and I really like that and my queer education is finding the folks who like blaze the trail right because my understanding is it was black trans women specifically and so that's a hole that I'm looking to fill and I feel like that's who we should all really be looking to as icons um, when it comes to this movement because they really blaze the trail um, if it weren't for them and their like incredible sacrifices incredible bravery it's a heck of a lot easier to be a 30 year old coming out in a town you know with a bunch of folks who are probably going to be pretty <laughs> pretty cool about it, so. I, I do feel, I do see a, uh, you know, um, political divide in Moab. It seems to be 
at least when you look at it, the people who are making the most noise, which this makes sense, but it seems to be two very divided factions of people. Um, there seem to be a very, you know, conservative, more right-wing side um, that's pretty vocal, and there seems to be a pretty liberal side that's pretty vocal. And But when um, Kylan and Crystal were murdered, um, that definitely was a, a bit of a turning point for me um, personally, and I feel like maybe for other folks in this community, I don't want to speak for anyone, but just based on something that I was hearing from friends and community members, and um, going, for instance, seeing the hatred that was being spewed by community members on Facebook in the posts related to Kylan and Crystal, seeing that vitriolic, homophobic stuff um, definitely uh, was hard. Two lesbians were murdered. Like, that does make you kind of wonder, like, is, is this a safe place? Um, is there a dark side? Is it just one person who didn't like them personally? Was it just a whatever, like, was it just like a happenstance crime or was it a hate crime? And so that's scary. Um, I want to have faith in people and I want to believe that I'm safe here, but do I have moments where, you know, I question how openly gay I seem or look? <laughs> Sure, I definitely have those moments. Like, maybe I shouldn't, whatever, wear this rainbow pin out. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, have anything on my home that looks remotely, you know, pride worthy. You know, maybe I should remove all that stuff, right? Because I'm scared. It's definitely scary. And, you know, and, and also working in customer service and in the tourism industry, I'm not out to clients. I get misgendered every day at work. I don't share my identity with anyone. Um, so literally every day at work is just, I'm just, I just prepare myself to be misgendered. And yeah, that's just the way it is because I don't want to be in the middle of a canyon <laughs> with someone and them finding out that I'm something they don't like. So I just don't say anything about it. So when they misgender me, I just take it and I just keep going. I just expect it at this point. Um, yeah, because I mean, if it were my own business, if it were my own work, that would be a huge part of it. When I, when my name is on something, I really want to do everything I can to make it a safer place for folks. But when it comes to work that's not mine, it's not my employer, you know, I'm, it's not my business. These aren't my clients. I, I, I'm willing to let that slide for the sake of my own safety. It honestly, it's a daily reminder of why it's so important to create the spaces where people feel safe being themselves and, and asking for people to use their pronouns. I grappled with these issues as a youth and instead I just held it, I just bottled it up for decades and I understand and recognize that some people have to do that in order to survive. I didn't. There were always people that I could talk to, and it's not that I didn't talk to people, I did, but I wish I had put myself out there a little bit more when it was safe to do so. Because there were times, you know, and you kind of know, like I feel like if you listen to your gut, you know when it's generally safe. If you can find those people, and I think that's the thing that's most important is that they're out there, you just have to find them. And if you find folks that you feel safe being yourself around, you can create this community, you can create a family that honors and loves and respects you for who you are.
you know what, what gives me joy are these moments of seeing people trying. Because I'm just so used to people not trying. People don't ask my pronouns, they just assume I get misgendered literally every single day. Um, and so it's really, really sweet when I see someone trying. Um, um, someone today was trying to refer to me and kept using the wrong pronoun over and over and just kept stumbling and just fixing it and stumbling and fixing it and stumbling and fixing it. And it was just like, and I, I could tell they felt bad, but I was just like, oh, look at you trying, you know? Like, so yeah, so really effort just makes me happy. Effort and growth, seeing people willing to learn, willing to grow and putting in effort, that makes me really happy. We just heard a piece from season one of Lift Up LGBTQ Plus Visibility. That interview was conducted by Ginger Cyan and was edited by Sarah Mead. We'll be revisiting all of season one this week in the newscast, but you can find episodes right now at kzmu.org under the special projects tab. There you'll also find season two of Lift Up, which is ongoing. Thanks for listening.